Who's got something to share about the goodness of God? One minute, 30 seconds. I don't want a whole message, but this week, God, the Spirit, anything exciting happened? Did you, did you go, whoa, God? Uh, this week, uh, one of my kids said um, they were just uh, lying in bed, maybe, um, and just singing a worship song, and they felt like they were actually singing to God. That's cool. That's very good. Simple as. Simple. Just the, the awareness of God, the presence of God with us. Eh? And, and um, I spoke last week on, on holiness and, and how... Um, it's deep within us, it's in our spirit, it's in our soul, it's that thing that we, we, we may not see in, in other people, and, but, and it's not all about being good or perfect or excellent all the time, but it's this, this holiness where our, our, our spirit, our soul connects with God, and, and often in the privacy or times you don't expect it, and, and we can look forward to that, and, and, and that is what our faith is, and this week, I, I just want to look at the, the goodness and the glory of God. And the, um, that's kind of weird, but did I? Oh, okay, we'll go back. Hang on. Can I go back? Yeah, I can, I can. Sorry about that. that we, we looked at the, um, those two long verses in, in the Old Testament, and the glory of God is seen much more and spoken of much more in the Old Testament than that, that short verse uh, that comes in the New Testament. And, and in the Old Testament, you see with, with Moses and, and the rock and, and speaking, and the glory of God is going to pass by. And then in, in Chronicles, you know, this great excitement, the goodness of God after they've been through everything. And then Jesus comes and, and speaks about the, the glory that will be with you. It did not tell you that if you believe, you will see this glory of God. Now, obviously, we can say in the New Testament era, when Jesus came, he bought, in this humanity, he bought the glory of God. And then we can look to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where the, the, the presence of the Spirit, the glory of God, came in, in that time of the, of the Spirit. And so it's kind of a major in the Old Testament, but you could say the glory is with us now all the time. Wherever, wherever we can know and feel and see the presence of God, the glory. But just go back to that Chronicles uh, verse and right at the end in, in the tabernacle, the noise, and it says... The priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Think about that for a moment. In this huge reverence, this place, the priests, all dressed up, all in their finery, and they could not do anything in that sacred moment because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You know, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a place, absolute reverence, everything stops for the glory of God? Can we have that today? Can we look forward to that today? Of course we can. It's part of who we are. It's with us, isn't it? The glory of the Lord. I mentioned last week, um, Sue and I, we were in England last year for six months. 
never been there before. And we, I'm sure many of you have been to England and, and you've been into the cathedrals. We walked into a couple of cathedrals and my tiny little Kiwi brain could not cope. The, the magnificence, the magnitude, the size, the splendour, the art, the architecture, the sculpture, the stained glass windows. It was actually too much for me. It was incredible. There's buildings, there's rooms everywhere, there's courtyards. They're just absolutely, amazingly huge. Has anybody... Put your hand up if you've seen them, walked into them. Am I telling the truth? They, like, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? And, and, and I'm walking around and I'm thinking... Wow, were these built to the glory of God or to the glory of man? And I'm sure some of them were built to the glory of man because there's a bit of a competition between towns or villages. But then, you know, it took hundreds of years to build. And they were built hundreds of years to go. And, and we can't go back and, and discover how or the whys or the whats but there must have been a time for some of them where the incredible reverence of God impacted someone or a village or a group of people and they wanted to build these magnificent structures to God. We're not going to build them today for obvious reasons. But the, the splendor, the majesty, we went to a little town called Bury St. Edmunds. There's a Catholic cathedral there's an Anglican cathedral. And the story goes that the pilgrims would crawl on their knees in pilgrimage and reverence towards St. Edmund. Crazy stuff, I know, and we're not going to do that. But that was the, the reverence, the story people told of the glory of God impacting people so much that they would crawl on their knees. Now, I'm not saying it's the right thing or the wrong thing, and it's all a bit crazy, but trying to understand the past, the history that came about to build these incredible structures. There must have been that time when the divine inspiration of God touched someone so much. Can we get back there today? Can we be in a place where the glory of God touches us so much that we are so excited that we would want to build a cathedral? I'm prepared to say it is. Our God is so incredible. We need to get to that place, that excitement. And, and, and I'll even push the boat out further and say we have a right to experience the glory of God. I, um, I, I came to faith in the late 70s, as I've said before, from a non-church background. I think my church experience was two funerals and a wedding. Searching for God, I went to a Pentecostal church. And some of you would have been around in that era, in what they call the charismatic era. And I went into this Pentecostal church, and it was raging. And, and, and God was moving. It was powerful. It was all I ever, it was my first experience. It's all I ever knew. And it was just awesome, wasn't it? 
Is anyone around in those? That was awesome, wasn't it? It was real stuff. God, you know, you went along expectation, expecting God, the Spirit, to do something. And if you miss church on Sunday morning, you rush there at night in case you miss something out that God was doing. And it was great. It was good. My wife had become a Christian years earlier, and she used to tell me to slow down and stop following the man or the pastor in front of the church. And these were very spiritually anointed people from what I could see. But she has common sense. And it was at a terrific time where God moved in our country. And as much as I can say it was great and terrific, there was also times that weren't great and terrific as well, where the ego and the arrogance and the pride of man got in the way. And things didn't go that way. So, you know, God's glory is being poured out. But we can also wreck it as well. Our pride, our ego can get in the way. And it was a great time. And, and you can read books. You know, how many people read books here? You know, I'm surprised the number of people who don't read much now. And I'd encourage you to read. Find some of the old authors. Is there a library in this church? Is not? Oh, okay. And, and George Mueller. Who's heard of, heard of George Mueller? You, got, you know George? Yeah, good. An incredible story of orphanages, of praying for food. Growing up, he was a real rat bag. He, he was a real nasty, bad little man. But then the, the glory of God hit him one night at a home group meeting, and he, he got into the orphanages, he built orphanages, you know, he prayed and, and God came and there's a story of no food for 200 orphans in the morning. The milk cart breaks down outside the orphanage full of milk. He's got to give it to the orphans. God woke the baker up at four o'clock in the morning to bake, bake bread. You know, all, this whole book is full of stories of faith and we need to read some of the old stories and, and some of the old revivals, a Hebridean revival, 1949, two elderly ladies in their 80s, one blind, one crippled. God gives one of them a vision to pray and pray for the church and, and, and bring revival to the church. And, and she's, you know, she talks to her, his, the, her minister and he said, what should we do? And she says, we need to pray. We need to give ourselves time to wait on God. And this whole revival took off. It's in 1949. Who's heard of the Asbury Revival? February this year. Asbury, America, Kentucky, uh, Methodist University. God appeared at a chapel service with the students. And they had a revival, that's in February this year, for most of February. God just appeared, and, and the students just stayed in the chapel. They didn't want to leave the chapel. As time went on, they realized these students should be learning, <laughs> not spending all their time. So I think the, the revival came to an end. But see, God is alive. The glory of God is with us if we seek, if we take time, and... and, and Look toward that anointing of God. How does that happen? And obviously, 
It comes first with our salvation. Our, our story of coming to faith with God. And that's, that's what it was for me in the 70s and 80s. The realisation that Jesus paid the price for our salvation, for our eternity. Pentecost seals the presence of God's glory. And it's our, our willingness to humble ourselves and to surrender to God and see the glory of God today in our church, in our surroundings. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. We live a life of faith, a faithful life, and a faith-filled life. Paul's surrender is to the words, Christ lives in me, awareness of God's presence within every one of us. We live in a busy, noisy world. We can't get away from that. But can we really grasp what has happened and happening in the Old Testament? Can we really grasp the New Testament and say there's a link? It's for us today that, for me, I really believe there's always another step for every one of us in our walk, in our journey of faith. There's always another step. There's always another question to answer toward our willingness to surrender and serve the Lord and, and to follow Jesus. We are bought with a price. But one of the problems, like I said, we live in a noisy world and, and, and we want to bring the world into our worship. We, we can't help it. We're kind of hijacked like that. It's where and who and what we are. We can't get away from it. Our, our daily world, it's just everything's surrounded by media and gadgetry. And I'm, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying get rid of it. But we have to be able to live with it and amongst it and stuff. But how do we live with the glory of God? When I was working the church, I would take a retreat each year. I'd, for three days, I'd go down to a monastery called Southern Star Monastery in Hawke's Bay. Anybody can go. Everyone's invited. You just go online and you dial up and you go down. It's a, a Cistercian monastery run by monks. I'm sure it's a bit like Tybean. I've never been to Tybean, but it's like, I'm sure it's like that. And the monks live under this uh, Benedictine order, which is hospitality and prayer. So you arrive, you do whatever you want to do. They feed you. They, it's very comfortable. It's quite new. It's, it's, it's really cool. It's really nice. And they pray seven times a day. First time they meet is 4 a.m. in the morning in the chapel. And you're in, everyone's invited to meet for prayer, and they go through this prayer seven times a day. First time I went down there, I drove away thinking, this is crazy. This is not normal for people to live like this. And, and I realized that every time I leave, 
I look for a sentence. God gives me a sentence. I'm like, what was this all about? And God gives me a sentence. And these monks, they've committed and dedicated their lives. There's one monk there, uh, Father Nico. He's been there for 45 years. The only time they leave the property, which is on, in a farm in a rural area, is for medical or dental or a family crisis. So they are there. They've committed their whole lives. And I drove away and I said, oh, this is terrible. What a crazy place. And I felt God say to me, don't be critical. Don't knock them. Don't condemn them. Look at their commitment to me. And it was true. And I, and I had a, a real checkup. And I said, yeah, look at their commitment to God. And I, and I would say that they have cloistered and closeted themselves away to the glory of God. But they would not say they have any more or know any more of God's glory than anybody else. And living in a monastery and being put away in that cloistered community does not bring you any closer to God and the glory of God than someone living in town in the street. And in fact, you could say it's harder to live and find the glory of God in the day-to-day working of how we, we live. It doesn't matter whether you live in a monastery or downtown or, or a youth hostel. The glory of God is with every one of us who is called upon the name of Jesus. How can we expect that? How can we experience the glory of God? You see, you look at the book of Chronicles, and it's all about Israel making sense of the past, what they've been through, and looking forward to their future. They've been through this incredible pain, incredible hurt, but they can still sing, He is good, His love endures forever. And we can make sense of the sadness and the hardship of life through the glory of God. I've come across people in the church who have just such sad, hurtful lives. Just, and I wonder why they still come to church when, they, when this has happened to them in their life. But they know far more of the glory and the presence of God and His Spirit than I probably ever will. They have such hurtful lives, but they come to church to meet and experience and be with the glory of God. Can we find the glory of God even through the sad and the hurt? Look at Job, the book of Job. The end of the first chapter, Job has lost everything. Family, barns, livestock, crops, everything is lost. What does he do? Falls on the ground and worships the Lord. Can we do that? Can we fall on the ground amongst all of the problems, all of the hassles of life? Because you see, we live in a society that says we have to be happy all the time. That we should be this, this utopia of great happiness. And when you read Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it says, It is better to go to a house of mourning 
and to a house of feasting. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Interesting, isn't it? You can find pleasure. Malcolm Muggeridge is an English journalist. He was converted to Christianity later in life. He said the only ultimate disaster that can befall all of us, I have come to realise, is to feel ourselves to be at home here on earth. As long as we are aliens, we cannot forget our true homeland. We are passing through. Earthly dissatisfaction is the road to heavenly satisfaction. The realisation that everything around us is temporary. And one of those families I was talking about, they, they, they have troubled children. And the fathers often said to me, in heaven they will have new, new bodies, new minds. He looks forward to that with his children. This world we live in is temporary. We're passing through it. In the church I was at about six years ago, a young man and his mother came to church. Um, he was about 18 he had cancer. He came to be healed. Um, when he was 13, he uh, had been baptized, so he had known some sort of Christian faith. But his life up until then had just gone crazy, haywire, awful stuff. And now at 18, he had cancer. So him and mum came looking for answers, looking for healing. And he would come to the front of the church, and people would pray for him. Sadly, unfortunately, the so-called prophets said to him he would get healed and live a long time and have a family. So he held on to that. As the year went on, he got sicker. The sicker he got, this young guy, the closer he got to God. He had a real troubled, awful life. But the sicker he got, the closer he got to God. And, and that year, his, his lifestyle changed. He dropped off all the things that were not good for him, were not healthy for him. And, and, and I'd visit him, and at no time did he moan or complain about, woe is me, why have I got this? He never did that. He had the glory of God, which I couldn't understand. I couldn't explain it, but he just knew God. And he got sicker. And then I'd meet him and, and go into the hospice. And he said, if Jesus heals me, that's great. If not, I'm going home to heaven. And he passed away, sadly. But this young guy came from almost a nothing world in pain, looking for healing, and grew and drew closer to God and knew the glory of God. He looked forward to it. You know, amongst, and, and please, you know, the sadness and the grief of life, and I'm not making light of that, but there is also the glory of God that walks with us through this journey of life. You know, we're not here to be happy all of the time. And it's really the idea and the case of knowing God's presence, God's glory in our life, whatever is happening in our safe little world that's getting rocked around now, we've got to ask, what is, where is the solid foundation for my life? 
What do I look forward to? What do I hold on to? I think the real sadness for all of us, for the church today, throughout the world, is we've lost our way. People are not flocking back to the church when a pandemic occurs, when storms and and cyclones and floods rip through communities. People do not flock back to the church for, for help, for peace, for comfort, for answers, for reassurance. I think in many ways, we, the church, we've misrepresented God. We have not lived the life of his presence in this world. We have not lived the life that shows his glory, his peace, his salvation, his hope, his eternity. If we can live these things, perhaps the world will see. The world will see the love. If we can begin to love with an attitude of holy living, an attitude of excitement, enthusiasm, And that's different for all of us. No one's got any right to tell everyone how they should live. Obviously, if someone's sinning, it's different. But, you know, we, we, we all need each other. It's not a case of telling everyone else how to live. But it is a case of drawing near to the Lord, seeking His glory, being aware of His presence in our life, And where he has called us to do. We all have a calling. We all have a gifting. We all have talents. We all have skills. Some are are towards prayer. Some are towards hospitality. Some are towards compassion and mercy. One cap doesn't fit all. But we are all called to be a part of the community of faith. The church that God has drawn us into. And live in such a way that we experience and know his glory. Let me finish with where we started. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Isn't that a wonderful individual promise that each one of us can take away today? And as we we conclude, we'll, we'll finish with a song of the worship team come up this is Paul's doxology at the end of Ephesians now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. There's something greater for every one of us when we walk with our Lord and with our God. Something we've never realized, something we've never discovered. You know, there's there's something that, you know, something that can always hold us back, that we can miss the glory of God. If we, if we hold on to the past, if we hold on to past hurts, past grievances, 
things that just didn't go well, didn't go right, if we hold on to that, that, that prevents us receiving the full glory of God. If we, don't, if we don't receive God's healing, God's forgiveness, some people just hold on and don't let go. And there's always a little hurdle to come over. So I'd encourage you this morning, as, as we finish with this song, seek the Lord. Ask God if there's something. And allow God, the Spirit, to speak to you this morning. If you'd like prayer, just come up the front and I'll just pray a blessing. I'm not going to ask you, talk to you about what it is or isn't. I'm just going to ask God to bless you. And coming to the front, I'm not sure if you do that in this church or not. I used to, when I first got into it, I used to go to the front and I didn't even know what I'd be. I'd be sitting out there and start something would shake and I'd be up the front shaking. I didn't even know what I had to be there for. And I realized that just sometimes coming out, it's an act of obedience to God, saying, yay God, yay God. Now, I can't show you any biblical scriptures about saying you're any better off coming to the front of the church or not. It's entirely up to you. But just let's just stand, let's just sing. And if you want prayer, just come up. If you don't, just that's fine. Just seek the Lord where you are. Ask for His presence. Ask for His glory. To Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power. That is at work with us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. We live amongst this amazing splendor of faith, of God's glory, of God's peace, of His blessing, the presence, the goodness, the glory of God. Let's not miss it.